0: The Incomparable Podcast, number 48, July 2011.
1: We're back on The Incomparable Podcast, and we hope you liked our recent two-part epic about Star Wars. We'll try to get to The Empire Strikes Back soon, we promise. But now we're going to talk about the just-concluded HBO series series. Game of Thrones, based on the series of books by George R.R. R. Martin. And before we blow the spoiler horn, what we're going to say is we're going to talk about the first season of Game of Thrones on HBO, the first 10 episodes, and we're going to, related, talk about that first novel, A Game of Thrones, by George R. R. Martin. We're not going to talk about what happens after that first book, after the first season of the show. So if you're riding along with the show or the first book and you don't want to know what happens... This should be a safe zone for you. We're not going to try to spoil you. I'm Jason Snell, the host of The Incomparable. Joining me today are a, uh, a great large collection of people who want to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, let's start with the, uh, the sniper of podcast comedy himself, Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. Good to have you here. Dan Morin also joins us because he's on every Incomparable podcast. Hi, Dan. Ned Stark forever. Yeah. Sorry. yeah I mean, hi. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Uh, Serenity Caldwell also joins us from the good city of San Francisco. Hi.
2: Winterfell. Winterfell. Hello. 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 John
1: Syracuse joins us from the wilds of Massachusetts. Hi, John. Greetings, everybody. And a special guest making his first appearance on the incomparable Monty Ashley, who recapped Game of Thrones for the website Television Without Pity, and also a college friend of mine. Hi, Monty. Hello. Well, Are those two
3: twins?
4: Which two? <laughs> the twins. The twins? No, they're not.
1: No, they're not. What they're, a twist. That,
4: that would have been awkward. They would but been. They, they did horrible things that twins should not do to one another.
1: That would be... Well, we can't have spoil the future episode when it's revealed that... No, they're twins. Sorry. Um, so, so... Uh, I think the the one of the pressing questions about this show from the beginning, from when we heard it was going to come on, was how would you adapt this novel, this kind of sweeping, in some ways intentionally unfilmable novel, it, and turn it into a TV show? Now they had ten hours to do it instead of a two hour movie, but still, there's a lot of stuff packed into that book. There are a lot of there's a lot of backstory. There are so many characters. So, uh, you know, first off, I'd say, what do you guys think about how they uh, first, first, actually, let let's take a survey here. How many of you have have you all read the book?
4: Indeed, raise our hands. Yes, yes.
0: yes. yes. i yeah. my hands yes. up. Sir. I have not read the book.
1: Okay, so John Syracuse is our control control subject. Such as I could be. All right. So so for those of you who have read the books, I'm curious what you think about how the show handled adapting the book and if it did a good job or if perhaps it even surpassed the
3: book in some way. Let's start with Monty. I thought the show was actually better than the books in that I didn't like the books at all. The books, I felt, were (laughs) long and rambly. I felt I had read 3,000 pages and I was not invested in anything that was happening and I didn't care who died next. Whereas on the show, even though I'd read the first book, I couldn't wait for the next episode to see... What was going to happen? And I think part of that is because it, the show is a lot less vague, and you can s- actually see what's happening with different characters when you did the spoiler horn, right? Yes, the spoiler. spoiler horn has been fired. When Ned died, we actually got to see. Oh, there it is! Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! Wait a second! <laughs> Not Ned Stark, a different Ned. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, Ned Flanders. When Ned Flanders whoa, died. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, sorry, Sam. <laughs> Spoiled the Simpsons now. When Ned died, you could see how everyone reacted. There's no vagueness about whether Cersei wanted this to happen. You saw her freak out and tell Joffrey to knock it off. And that sort of thing gave me a much better feel for what was happening on the show.
1: Right, I see that. Um, What does Ren, Dan, Scott, what do you guys think?
2: Definitely. Well, I mean, you get the the picture very clearly that uh, Joffrey is basically going off his rocker and being like, I'm going to just do this and screw whatever my mother has arranged. And you get that in an instant, which is great. I'm
3: a great.
5: king!
2: Ha ha ha! Yeah. And the what camera angles little... are great.
5: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think, you know, by, by necessity, they had to cut a lot of stuff down, right? And they sort of trimmed it and, and honed it to a point, I think, which works great. I mean, like, television, you know, movies and books are obviously very distinct as genres. There's things you can do in either that you can't do in the other. Um, but I think that they, you know they they took what would make a good you know a good television show out of the book and and as such because you know it is still a huge investment obviously in time it's 10 hours but it feels in some ways less of a uh, a time sink than than reading a, a multi hundred page book and i say this as someone who likes the books and thinks that the books did a good job for 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 the books that they were in that you know this is sort of an epic fantasy series and as someone who enjoys reading those um i thought that it did an excellent job with that but also you know It's hard to walk that path of of adapting such well known source material, and I think they did they did a quite adept job at it um, for a variety of reasons.
4: Scott, well, I think you know the the kind of people who read giant fantasy books are the kind of people who want to revel in the details and. You know, know about all of the history of the houses and all that crap, and the kind of people who I say crap lovingly. Uh, the and so when you're you're developing a show, uh, you just have to cut to the bare bones, right? And and just boil it down to the essential plot points. And if it's on HBO, add naked people, and you're done. <laughs> and, and I think they did that.
1: Yes, accomplished. Well, I think um in reading one of the interviews with George R. R. Martin, he talks about how. In some ways, this was—I think I mentioned this in our podcast about the books. In some ways, this was his take on something like a historical event, like the War of the Roses. And and in, in watching the TV show, I almost felt like what we were seeing was the the source material was like a history book that had lots of detail, and that then the people come in and say, "Well, that's the story. That was the history. How do we tell a TV show based on this?" And and so it did get simplified and and clarified in some ways, and and I do think that was successful.
5: And it's the same way that, you know, you take something like like Lord of the Rings, right? Which is, again has this incredibly, you know, deep, rich history behind it. But, you know, history doesn't always make a super interesting movie or TV show. You say that now, but you just wait until Peter Jackson does the Silmarillion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm on the edge of my seat. Maybe I'll finally finish reading that book and finish my eighth grade book report. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there's something to – you've got to change it. It's got to be a a little more cohesive. The the narrative structure has to change a little bit because you're building for these acts and these individual episodes. But, you know, overall, again, I think they did a great job with it. And I, I you know, I, I want to tip, you know, a large part of my hat to the, the casting, which is just, and HBO has shown themselves to be just awesome. Whoever their casting directors are, they just, they are great across the board because they do such a, a fantastic job of picking the right people for the part. And there were so many cases in this where, you know, having read the book and pictured a character a certain way, even if it wasn't like exactly 100% right, you you look at the characters and be like, yep, yeah, yeah, that's basically what that guy looks like. All right, we'll, we'll um, get back
1: to the casting because I do want to talk about the... The actors in this. But first, I want to go to our control group, John Syracusa, who did not read the book. Um, my wife also didn't read the book, and it was fascinating to watch her, and occasionally I would explain something, but generally, you know, she got it. She, you know, like, like watching The Wire or something like that, you know, not to compare it to The Wire, John, easy, easy, but... It's like that in the sense that the first few episodes they're getting revved up and it's a little bit slower and there's a lot to digest. And by the end, she was really satisfied with it. So, John, you know, how about you? What was your take on it? Not having read the books,
0: you know, just because you didn't read the book doesn't mean you can't tell if it's a good adaptation or not. And I was thinking about this when I was watching it. Well, One you the... you may be uniquely uh, <laughs> able to tell us because you didn't have to deal with the book. Well, you know, here here I'll okay. I'll give you a system. There's two ways you can do uh, time elapsing in uh, in a story. You can do the big jump where you show the, the little kid and he has some trauma experience when he's a child and then you jump forward and he's like a young man, right? That's the big jump. Thing.
1: Dissolve to he's right. now a teenager, yes.
0: Or you can do the small series of steps with logical connections between them. Bad adaptations happen when they, they're in that middle ground where they have to cut stuff out of the book, but it's not long enough to be a dissolve, change scenery, now he's a man type of thing. But it's not short enough for you to be able to connect the dots of, like, well, I just saw that guy, and he was, like, cowardly, and he he was, when he was talking to this person, they had this relationship, and now, three scenes later, they seem to have a totally different relationship, and then they try to stick in lines of dialogue to go, oh, remember, you know, two years ago, I got over my fear of you, and we had a battle that was not included in this, you know it seems disjointed an example i would give even though it doesn't have the character development problems probably because it doesn't have much character development is the the recent series of harry potter movies i i always felt like there were gaps taken out and they weren't weren't long enough where it was a big transition period in the people's lives but they weren't short enough that from one scene to the next it'd be like oh wait a second w- weren't we supposed to be concerned about something like you you'd feel things missing and in game of thrones they seem to whatever they cut out I didn't notice where the holes were. It just seemed like every scene logically followed from the other. And there wasn't a lot of people having to do exposition to explain their own motivations or events that were not seen on camera or whatever. So the stuff they cut out, thumbs up, because I don't think you needed it.
1: And what exposition there was was done while people were naked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that never hurts except for that old dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Although that was really funny, right? Because it seems like a random scene, but then you realize that what they're really showing is that it's all it's all a put on, and he actually yeah. is spryer than than that. But yes, naked exposition that, is, the, is that is an actor new thing. is
0: great too. I bet that's probably the best scene he's ever done in his entire <laughs> acting career. He was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Empire. I know, but, but was he there. was he doing naked squats with a, with a naked actress in the room?
5: No. They did not ask General Veers to do that, no. They showed he was physically <laughs> sprier
3: than you thought, but he's also the only person actually supporting Joffrey wholeheartedly at this point, I think.
1: Right. Is he, or is he saying that because he knows that the girl is uh, a spy for, I don't know which one, Varys or Littlefinger? <laughs> I don't know. Who can tell? I would not be good at the Game of Thrones! All the horrors work for Tommy Carchetti. That's right. They See, more wire references. Ah, Baltimore. That's amazing. Um, it is the HBO, the HBO Actors uh, Guild. They they all get parts in various HBO roles. Um, uh, John, otherwise, um, as a as a, a, a novice to the Game of Thrones series, just going in cold as a as a viewer, uh, did it all hold together? Did it all you know make sense? You, you know, were you satisfied by this thing as a complete blank slate?
0: Yeah, I mean, you could see that they had to do... They opened the series with sort of the overarching mythos of winter and those white riders and stuff like that. And then they very quickly move away from that to get you settled into the world that is threatened by that thing. I guess it's kind of a season 1 thing where you have to establish what I assume is going to be the larger arc story and then quickly go in and say, "Well, here's the world that's threatened and let me get you involved in that world so that when it becomes threatened later, or, or, you know, you'll be more invested in it." So that was a little bit awkward transitioning from is this a series about the wall and the things threatening the wall or is this a series about People fighting over who's going to be king of the other parts. In which
5: sense, it's it's actually a very faithful representation of the book because that's basically exactly how the book goes. But it is
1: interesting. The message there is that um, you're seeing this fantasy series and the first scene has got something supernatural in it. And then you forget in many ways that, that, that you saw that. And it's all, there's not a lot of magic in, especially in this first season. There's really very little magic, um, until you get to the last couple of episodes. And I feel like that first scene is there to tell you, yes, yes, that there are magical things that are going to happen, just not for a while yet.
4: And that's how George R.R. R. Martin has structured the whole story, right? Because he starts off at the wall, and it's very, it's a big imposing thing, and you think, oh my god, this is important, and these people are doing important work, keeping the seven kingdoms safe, and then you find out that they send the dregs of humanity up there, <laughs> and they just don't want to think about it, and behind that wall is, you know, magical things and all kinds of nasty things that no one wants to think about. So they just think about this little game where, of thrones that they are playing, while the whole time you know who knows what's gathering i think i think
5: hogwarts is above the wall right Probably. yes I yes it, was it's it narnia it's
3: a land of eternal winter up there right
5: <laughs> oh, that's good
3: now i want some did turkish ever, delight
0: did they ever address why things can't walk around the wall it's really big it's it's a long yeah. wall no around it not over it just go to the end and then walk it's
2: it's end to end isn't it
0: i mean it goes from ocean to ocean
2: yeah ocean to ocean
0: Right, but the ocean is like three feet deep at the shore. So you can walk up to your waist. Around <laughs> no, I don't think the wall.
5: so. I think it goes further than that. And there's yeah. there's geography. Haven't I mean, you didn't you watch yeah. the opening
0: credits? Well, I mean, they, but they have bo- they have boats, right? Dude,
5: they're 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 John John. They're White Walkers, not White Swimmers.
3: Okay, <laughs> <laughs>
5: just like the Dothraki are afraid of swimming,
3: so That's are right. White Walkers.
2: <laughs> That's
1: right. It has the major blue eyes.
3: They're major political implications. They need
1: white floaties. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the actors and the casting. Dan mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, I, I it really is tough to try and and cast uh, characters in an adaptation, especially when the when the books have such fans. But I have to say, I think in general they did a really good job. In fact, um, they nailed it. I mean, come on. I, I have let's a couple of quibbles, but they're they're so offset by the positives that you know. I mean, let's start. I mean. Uh, Everybody can throw out a favorite if they if they've got it. Maybe Peter that would be the Dinklage. best way to do it. So Peter Dinklage. Let's talk about P- that. That's the best character in the books. It's he does a great job. Although I will say his accent is atrocious. Although it gets better, yes. but it starts out. It's really really bad. But he's still got he's got the manner down. Oh yeah, completely great character, and he does he nails it. He does. Other than the accent, which I feel like. Even by the end of the series, I felt like he was better with the accent, that he, he had to struggle with that a little bit. But uh, such a great character and perfect casting, right? When I heard that he was cast, I thought, "Whoa, that's it. And Tyrion Lannister is just, uh, you know, that's just a fantastic character. So that was, that was, yeah, that's like an A, great A. His,
2: his speech in the Eerie, especially, his entire, you know, I am going to confess to my crimes. And just the way he drew that out and played it so specifically was fantastic.
1: It was like a weird Perry Mason episode where, except the judge would have to be
5: nursing a a, a nine year old on oh, at, at the bench or something. That was that was creepy. I saw that episode of Perry Mason, man. It was weird. That was creepier than
1: I than I thought. Creepier than I thought. Uh, the the, uh, the 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 Lord of the Airy <laughs> nursing on his mom.
2: Creepier than the books ever made it out to be. Yeah,
5: there's a. No, it was pretty creepy in the books. Yeah, but you didn't get to see how old he was. Yeah, yeah. there's that.
2: (laughs) There's the picture in your mind. You can't really picture an eight-year-old suckling at his mother's breast until you see it on the screen.
4: And then it's just, oh. In in HD.
1: So in terms of the the headliners, um, Sean Bean... Uh, no stranger to fantasy from Lord of the Rings. They bring him in as the essentially the lead character, except those of us who read the book knew what was coming, and it was going to be a one-season
5: gig for him. Uh, but I thought he did a really good job.
6: Yeah, yeah.
5: no, he's, he's very solid. I mean, he's the one honest man, right? Like, that's the yeah. role he gets to play, and, and in that sense, you know, kind <laughs> of the fault. opposite of his... Of his Lord of the Rings character. That's, but. that's true. And
4: I was watching it with my wife when she could bear to watch it because she cannot handle tense, violent shows. So she was half, most like five minutes when she was watching the show, she kept saying, Why is he so stupid? <laughs> I said, he's not stupid, he's just honest. <laughs> He's the only one, right? (laughs) Exactly.
2: I love, can I just say one thing that I absolutely love about the last episode with Ned and with the whole, you know, getting his head, getting beheaded and all of that fun stuff. Is when he looks and sees Arya on the, on the fountain, he looks and he sees her. And there's, it's obvious, it's not a detail that's in the books because it's from Arya's perspective, as I remember, not, not from Ned's. Um, But he looks and he sees her. And it's the last thing he sees before he gets beheaded is he looks and he doesn't see her on the on the platform anymore or on the fountain anymore. And that's like, I don't know, that that moment specifically just grabbed me.
5: It's a moment of hope, which is not really, you know, big in the books.
2: No, there's (laughs) no she's still
5: alive. and, And
1: he's set the message that where she is so that they can go get her and hopefully spirit her away. Right. And that's sort of the last his last gasp.
5: Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll give them props too for the uh, the, ki- the children actors for the most part. I think you know Arya especially, who is one of another one of my favorite characters from the books. Arya's I think cast- she, they had a they had a very nice. They did a great job with her too.
1: Yeah, she was great. She was yeah. great. All those scenes with uh, the fencing master with Sirio Florel are um, excellent. That's a good little
3: minor character who was well well cast.
2: He's so well casted. Yeah, it's very but-
3: good. I love Arya, but they keep having scenes where people say she looks like a boy, and the actress doesn't look like a boy.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's tough because I mean that is a necessity in in the books, right? Like, cause at the end there, you sort of like they're they're basically making her pass for a boy, and she, unfortunately, she is not she is not the most boyish of of actresses.
1: Yeah, they we'll they cut her hair, and they got, yeah they gotta like put mud on her face <laughs> or something,
5: and
2: yeah, they're hoping that the bigger eyebrows were going. to, Let's just put extra eyebrow pencil, and that'll totally make her not look feminine.
1: Although that that's um that's a scene from the beginning of the second book I believe. I think they actually did push a few scenes from the second book into the last episode um, resolve
5: uh, certain storylines or yeah. you know. well
1: it's it's structured again. I'm gonna go back to the wire. One of the things that I really liked about the wire is that the every all, all the big events happen in the penultimate episode of the season. That's where the bloodbath happens. And in the, in Game of Thrones, that's when Ned gets his head chopped off. And then the last episode is like the fallout and, and, the and, and, mom. and I yeah. and I really like that. And I like that about the wire, and I like that I, I think it was probably consciously modeled that way by the producers of Game of Thrones, to have that shifting of gears, the fallout, the setup for the next season. And it's funny that they actually pulled a couple of scenes from the second book forward, but it's great because it gets Arya out of the town. You see that she got out, but that she's on this new journey that's going to be presumably perilous. And, uh, um, you know, I thought that was good. And the actress who plays Arya is fantastic, even though she is, is not boyish, really.
2: She's spunky. She's wonderful. The actress who plays Sansa is actually quite good, too.
1: So let's talk about Sansa. Sansa is an annoying character in the book, and she's she's an annoying annoying. character in the TV show. Although my wife was just telling me um, before we started recording this that the last couple episodes, you see that the actress who plays Sansa has some skills, and they give her some things to do, and, and she does a good job, but she's playing such an unsympathetic character up to that point.
2: She's playing an unsympathetic character, but at the same time, I mean, she's playing it so well and so to the point where it's like you, you just especially in the scene with Joffrey in like what is it episode seven or eight when he comes to apologize to her, and that whole where she's being just a complete bitch to the to the septa. That that combination of scenes it just shows you know
5: her range. Well, and she she gets some growth in at the end too, right? Mm-hmm. There's that brief moment in that in the last episode.
2: Oh, in the very where- last scene where she's completely pale.
5: Well, the one where she the when when Joffrey takes her to see Ned's head oh, mm-hmm. right. and you get that brief moment of the i mean she basically contemplates like throwing him off the 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 bridge, right, right. yeah, right. I and could grab so, him and jump off, and we would both be dead right and like I mean that's a that's a big moment for her, right because you know <laughs> she's been very she's been very complicit up until that point. And yeah. so it was a nice moment, and it showed the range, and I, I really actually like the interaction with her and the hound there, too, at the end. Mm-hmm. Which is Well, he's saving her, or is he condemning
1: her, right? It's a little bit of both. And is he doing right. it for
3: her or for the king? It's all kind of, you know, who knows what's going on there. In a way, Sansa's basic flaw is the same as Ned's, is that she's too naive. She seems to me to have totally bought into the idea that she'll just become a princess and marry the king and then be Queen Sansa and everything will be ponies and unicorns forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed he's, to be, he's, he's your
5: traditional fantasy character in many ways, right? And look well, what Ned it gets. wasn't or... naive. Yeah.
0: Ned, Ned knew the rules of the game. He just refused to play it. So he knew he was more or less doomed, and he knew how things were... I mean, he knew when he got the offer, come be the hand of the king. He knew, like, this sucks, basically, and this will not end well, probably for <laughs> me. But he does it out of a sense of honor, and everything he does when he's there, he does out of a sense of honor, even though he knows full well how badly it's going to go, whereas Sansa really has no idea how the world actually works. Oh, there's a great and line where she main, says
1: yeah. to Cersei that she's going to be a queen like her, and it's like, oh, honey, you're
3: not going to be a queen like her. <laughs> I think she just doesn't know what property she's in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on Sansa and the casting, uh, the th- not having read the book, the interesting thing about the casting was that very early on in the, the episodes, I was trying to determine which one of these characters are... am I supposed to be sympathizing with? Like, which are the good guys and bad guys, more or less? You know what I mean? Uh, And a lot of it had to do with the actors. So, for example, uh, Tyrion. Now, Tyrion, I was immediately attracted to Tyrion, but the things they had him do were not very good so it's like well is this character in the book supposed to be evil but this actor is just charming the pants off me because he's such a good actor right or is like is that the character and the same goes for everybody else like sansa is she really supposed to be this annoying am i supposed to hate her or is it just the (laughs) performance you know so i'm trying to gauge by like how much do i like the actor uh is does that mean that this character is going to be a good guy in the stories? And that was a fascinating thing. And it shows that the characters aren't cut and dry. Like you couldn't say good guy, bad guy, bad guy, good right. guy. Everybody has their own problems. Um, and I think that carried through the whole season, even towards the end of it. I'm like, I still don't know what the characterization of these people in this the book series is, but I've decided I like Tyrion no matter what.
1: You I think, what I, mean? I think you actually, that shows that you got the desired effect because the books are very similar. And one of perhaps my favorite thing about the books and I've read the f- all, whatever, four books of them is, is, that every time you think that you've got a character and you've got them in a hole of like I'm rooting for them I'm not rooting for them you realize oh no they did something terrible or they did something good and Tyrion yeah. is the best example right he he's a Lannister he does these he, you know he does these awful things but at the same time he's funny he's smart you get the sense that he's sort of doing terrible things out of family obligations too um like like Ned in some ways and I think that's the strongest thing about these these characters in this story is that is that it, it's hard to pigeonhole them as good guys and bad guys you know although in the first season and the way they're portrayed it, it is a lot harder to find any sympathy for Cersei and and uh and Jamie Lannister or
5: Joffrey but I mean well uh, <laughs> Joffrey but I mean the, again well speaking to speaking to the actors Joffrey does, he's, like, it's, he, again, note perfect, right? You're supposed to loathe him. He is, sure. like, just a terrible, loathsome individual. And He I could think be Draco Malfoy. It's, sm- mm-hmm. it's smart, right, like, <laughs> so smarmy about it. And, like, I think you totally get that. I think that guy, you know, the performance there was excellent in that, Just like, he just brought out everything that you hate about that character. He could
0: He could not be, he, he could not be Draco Malfoy. Though. I want to point this out, that even the characters that you hate, that's why I brought up Sansa, like, Sansa or even Joffrey, those characters all have sympathetic moments, uh, as opposed to Draco. Well, that's who in true. The is just a cartoon, right? Because, because uh, you know you feel for Joffrey when he tries to when, when he gets you know his hand chewed on because he was trying to be the big man and he so clearly isn't. He's fa- he's basically failing to impress a girl, and that's a sympathetic thing. It's not it doesn't excuse his later behavior, but you understand why is why is he like this? Why is he so angry and mean? It's because he's had you know he's not successful at becoming a man on on, on you know on his own terms. Same thing with Sansa, who like. Is naive And you're like, well, I'm kind of disgusted with her because she's naive, but she's mostly just an innocent. And you feel for her when she, he, she sees her father's head get cut off and, you know, later has to look at the head on a pike and consider throwing herself off the bridge. Everybody is sympathetic in ways that, for example, Draco Malfoy is mostly not in the movies anyway. I don't know about the books. Uh, and, and that's why... Like, for example, I wouldn't be shocked if someone said, well, you know, Sansa's actually the hero of the third book because she grows into this great queen, you know. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you can foresee any possible future for all of the people involved. And some of them had that arc in the first season. Like, uh, what's her name? Uh, Daenerys. Obviously, uh, yes. where she starts mm-hmm. off in the season and where she ends are very different. So, you're like, I can see that arc for anybody. Pick any character. <laughs> and if you told me that, like, some in some distant future they are very important and a good guy I'd be rooting for, I would believe it 100% okay
1: let's go across the narrow sea then and talk about uh the daenerys targaryen story uh which is was shot (laughs) i think completely separately in in the mediterranean most of the series was shot in northern ireland but some of it is shot in the mediterranean to get that kind of deserty feel uh you know there are a couple crossovers that happen but it's basically a self-contained story and and to john's point such a great journey because when you meet her, first off, you don't know whether she is the focus because there's this horse lord and her, there's her brother, right? Harry Lloyd <laughs> plays her brother, and you think, well, he's the he's the dragon, he's gonna come back, and she and she gets sold to the horse lord, and she basically gets raped on her wedding night, and you're, what the hell is this? And by the end, she has basically kicked everybody's ass, and and I, I think it's a great, I think that was great casting. She was actually recast; there was somebody else in the pilot, and they. They replaced her. And um, in the end, I think that was a great character. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought about that whole really kind of separate story thread that was going on throughout.
2: You know, I was really skeptical about her at first, the actress in the first uh, in the first episode. I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, she doesn't she doesn't really get to say much. And but as the as the entire season progressed, I mean, I would say the actress grew as much as the character and it was really kind of astonishing to watch like you really believed that she was transitioning from this naive awkward girl into basically a queen what she needed to be
1: maybe she was just that good i don't know but you definitely felt that progression
5: yeah i just never i was never sure if i liked her or not as a character in the books and i still i feel very similarly to what john was saying i feel very ambivalent about her in many ways (laughs) her whole storyline is my least favorite
3: part of the books whenever whenever i'm reading about her i'm just impatient to get back to all this other stuff Right, yeah, right. I want to so, get back to court and so, see the injury. So, But, Monty, so what do you feel about in the in the TV show? Do no. you feel less of that? Yeah, because watching somebody do it, I can't skip over it. it in the books, is kind <laughs> of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I read the, the first page and go, oh, this is another Daenerys section, so I've got 20 pages of this. Boring, flip, 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 boring. Yay, Tyrion's <laughs> saying something cool again. We're back to the fun <laughs> stuff. But when I'm forced to sit down and watch it, then it's more fun.
1: Yeah, and there were some nice, you know, the... The horse people are again. I'm calling them the horse people. They're not half man, half horse. They just ride horses. But the horse people and call uh, uh, Drogo, which you know, yeah, another piece of good casting. Yeah, good casting. Um, he's going to be great as Conan, don't you think?
5: Yeah, he's very Conan. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't even get to speak a word like what, like two words of English. No, the that, entire... it's all Klingon.
1: <laughs> well, it is right. Yeah. They, they they hired linguists to invent the whole Dothraki language. So it is. It like Klingon. It is this invented, artificial, but um, real language. Going to take
5: umbrage now. It's not like Klingon.
1: No. Well, it, I mean, it's like Klingon in the in the sense they they actually thought out the whole grammar and the and the and the dialect and everything, and didn't just sort of like make up wacky words to have them say. But that's you know that's an interesting.
4: Klingon has a long and storied history.
1: Well, this, we'll see. Yes, we'll see if people are speaking Dothraki in 20 years.
4: That's right. I don't think anyone's going to be going to Dothraki camp in 20 years. Well, we'll see about that, Scott. We'll see about that.
1: Um, Any other thoughts about that storyline? I think that the... um you
0: know, I, I, John, were you surprised at how that ended? Because, you know, she was being set up to have the baby. Uh, and- that, that, I thought that was telling. soon as those eggs appeared in, like, episode uh, two. You're kind of uh, like, well, yeah, okay, yeah. I see where this is you going. You weren't the fooled only, by like, the, the eggs. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that surprised me is that I, I was surprised that, that Drogo dropped out as soon as he did. I, you always knew that she would grow it to be the queen, and you knew those stupid eggs were going to hatch. Uh, just, they were just sitting there in every episode, and you knew that she would come into her power or whatever when she's doing the the putting the egg in on the fire and stuff like that. But I thought Drogo would be there alongside her because why not? I mean, she could be a powerful queen alongside him, and you know they could be equals and rule together. But it turns out uh, the horse lords are not the antibiotic lords, and he drove
1: Yeah, there's something nicely brutal about that.
0: That whole section across the sea. You were saying that they started in the Mediterranean. I I thought that the sets and the settings didn't look as impressive. Maybe it's because they're harder to do. It didn't look as impressive as, for example, Winterfell. I guess maybe it's easier to do stone castles and snow than it is to do uh, deserts and sun in the Mediterranean, but it... the the cast felt weaker there weren't as many strong characters over there across the sea there was like three or four when you had like dozens on the other side right and the settings looked Mm -hmm. more kind of tv-ish maybe they did some stuff indoors that they should have done outdoors i don't know what it was but that that threw me off a little bit and i did feel a little bit like oh we're going across the sea well that's not being that interesting but once drogo really started to become a character and that interaction between them started and you got the whiny blonde dude out of the way with his horrible dyed hair uh then the across the sea <laughs> stuff started to or pick Halo. up, and you know, and and it's I did like the fact that it was this other, it was like it was taking the place of the wall. It was this other thing that's an existential threat to the games that are going on between the, the the people who are fighting in the in their little circles. So you've got the wall, which we don't talk about much, but we have hey, there's these dudes across the sea, and they're they're the outside threat that you have to worry about. And the only people talking about them is the uh, what's his name, the bald dude, and King's Landing. He's the only one who seems even remotely concerned that these guys are going to come across the sea and and kill them all. Right. I, I, that's one of the nice things about the setup, right, is it's
1: this multipolar world. It's not as if they're too cold. T- you know, the the, the the people in Westeros are going to clash with the people across the sea, because then there's the wall, and then they're fighting each other. And it's like, ah, what's going to happen? Who am I
5: supposed to even pull for here? It's a mess. Rooting for the dragons.
1: <laughs> yeah, go. your Team
0: Dragon. <laughs> go, right. dragons. I'm Team Dragon. <laughs> All right.
5: And a, and a nice word about the, the court in general, which I think, you know, uh, Mayor Carcetti as, as Littlefinger and whoever they got to play Varus. I think also also a very apt casting. And anytime they, mm-hmm. that you get I love that little two guys scene. together. Oh, man. Yeah, that oh, yeah. scene. Was it the last with episode with the, two of, the two of them? That's great. Oh. It was such a fantastic The
1: schemers, the, the power behind the throne, right? The people who know everybody and got, have everybody planted everywhere. And, you know, in the book, I, I felt that that was – seeing that, especially Varys, but seeing those two guys scheming like that on uh, on the screen – felt more tangible to me in some ways that like you know because you can sort of see them hanging back they're at the edge of the scene you know that they're up to something i really like that I, th-
5: I thought that was a, and which uh, one do you trust <laughs> yeah you know, neither just, <laughs> neither no no way no but about varus came across much more and much more sympathetic to me in some ways i mean mm-hmm. despite the fact that you know they he's clearly you know still playing his own game um you know well he don't, we don't get quite the moment of of like gasp betrayal that we get from Littlefinger, right so um, let's talk
1: about the Lannisters before we move move north, um, uh, Cersei and Jaime, uh, who don't um, – for important characters, like Jaime Lannister doesn't have as much screen time as I think that I expected, although I guess he just isn't in the first book as much. We see more of him later. No spoilers. Just, you know, he'll be back. We, <laughs> we see more of him through other people's eyes. Right.
4: Yes. Right. He's the King Slayer or whatever they call
1: good, him. Good, uh, good casting on those. I thought those
3: actors were both perfectly reasonable. Quite good. Sarah, Con- Sarah Connor did a great job. <laughs> you can tell from Jamie Lannister's hair what character he is instantly. Like everybody else is medieval and most of the guys have – like Sean Bean – doesn't shave. Sean can't shave. <laughs> right. It's just
5: that manly. The
3: stubble is just, it cannot be destroyed. But Jamie Lannister walks in and his hair is perfect. He's got gleaming armor. Yeah, he's and- the pretty
2: boy. Mm-hmm. Pretty boy with a good sword hand.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: He's he's uh, he's a sharp one. So, um, but that, yeah, and he was what? She She's Sarah Connor and he was New Amsterdam, right? He yeah, was yeah. <laughs> Fox. Fox actors from Cancelled Fox series. Now welcome to HBO. Um,
0: Stepping up. And the
2: little bit of Tywin that we get, we don't get much of him. But the, yeah, the he, little... he
0: was my favorite. He was my favorite Lannister because his his introduction scene where he's cleaning an animal during oh, his, yeah. uh, oh, his, yeah. indri- you know, it's like here's a new character, and you're gonna have you're gonna have to watch him yelling at his his son Well, I think it was his son, whoever he was yelling at, while he cleans his animal. Mm-hmm. He was well, skinning a pig. stag
3: mm-hmm. because it's symbolic.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> symbolic of Robert. I I just thought it was a good. Uh, that was a good intro to the world because, it, you know, as a viewer, they're assuming that you're going to be put off by the fact that he's cleaning this animal. But you're also supposed to understand to the characters in the world, this is, this is about as dramatic as talking to someone while they sip a cup of coffee because this is just what you do in this world. You know, no one, no one else in that scene was upset by him cleaning that yeah, animal. Except he's like the,
5: rich, he's the richest guy in the Seven Kingdoms. Like he could have someone do that for him, right? Like it means something that he does it himself. It's a matter of
0: principle. You uh, want it done right. He's like that kind of guy.
5: E- echoes Ned uh,
1: cutting off the head of the deserter, right? I mean, it's I like, I'm going to do this myself. That's this right. is my business. So um, we should also talk a moment about um, Mark Addy as uh, King Robert, who again meets an untimely end, killed by a pig. But in in the scenes that he has... Um, Damn cops. I <laughs> <laughs> Westeros PD! Um, I, I thought All about Mark, the wire. I, I thought Mark Addy was... Um, was really good. I I liked him as the kind of, you know, king who maybe he's got regrets. He has a few, but then again, he's fat and happy and drunk and has a, you know, beautiful wife who hates him and whatever.
5: Can we say a a word about that scene, the scene with him and Cersei, where they talk about the fact that their marriage is holding Which is not in the book. No, but it was such an awesome scene. It was a great scene. That brief view of... Man, if things had been different, right? Like, maybe this wouldn't have been so unhappy, and maybe not, maybe a lot of terrible things wouldn't have happened. But that was the way that it was meant to be, and that's how it happened.
0: And that, made, that made Cersei more sympathetic, too. There's yeah. another scene where you see that mm-hmm. she's not a pure evil caricature. You know, the the only thing that, that keeps bringing me back to Jamie and, and Cersei being evil is so the incest thing. Is well, it's hard the, to look drawing, past that. Throwing
5: the kid out the window?
3: Well.
0: That's understandable. That kid was annoying. Let's face it. Yeah, that was protect. That was He's part annoying. of. That was part of the incest thing, where you know they were trying to protect their secret. But it's just like that taint- taints to all of their characters.
1: The Lannisters. What a great family, though, right? You got Tywin. You got Tyrion. You got Jaime.
2: Oh, I have to say a a short thing about. Uh, about Tyrion's entourage in the later episodes because Oh Braun the cell sword. Braun Braun.
5: He's a great mm. character.
2: Braun is very well cast and Shay who is completely different to how I pictured her in the books. Completely different personality, completely different look, completely different type. So I was very kind of taken aback the in first the books, time. Isn't she
1: more of a just kind of along for the ride? Tyrion is is fond of a, a of a whore and I, I, that's how I read in the books and in the in the TV show, she is super sharp.
2: Mhm. Well, I mean, I think you get Uh-oh. to some some extent that she's a little bit sharp in the books, but she seems uh, foolish in a way uh-huh. where it's more she she read to me in the books as more of like a California Valley girl of horrors, right? Where she's just like, I want pretty things. <laughs> I want to be, you know, et cetera. and in actuality, in the, te- the television show, makes me love this character. She's more where- like a
1: college professor of course. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, sometimes I think that there's some depth that 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 you that the characters in the t te- in the in the book series they they grow over time and you, that you have these unexplored depths. But seeing them on screen, I think the producers almost have to make the decision to show some of that stuff up front because otherwise. It will make sense later as Absolutely. they as they grow yeah. the
5: depth. So they're like, we're going to show that she has depth up front because we can't do it later. We got to do it right <laughs> well, now. And you get the idea that she needs to be a, a, at least somewhat sharp in order to. Why would he bring her Tyrion's? Yeah, to catch Tyrion's fancy in the way catch that
2: his he, eye. That's Yeah, because right,
5: yeah. he's a super
3: sharp guy himself. So far on the show, I'm not even convinced Shay is a whore. She hasn't said she was. She denied everything Tyrion said about her, and all we know is that Bron took her from someone else in the camp.
1: Oh, right. That's okay, true. that's true. She her she's sort of mysterious in that way. She's but, uh, she's an independent business. For she is right. <laughs> she's hey. She's just she's out there staying alive. Right, it's a tough world out there in Westeros.
2: That scene where they're like the let's play the truth and uh, the truth game, where I where I determine things about your past. That's not a scene from the books, as I recall. And that's fantastic.
6: Yeah.
1: No, they like. they as as the series got going too, you felt that they got more confident
5: in taking some liberties that actually served the story better. Yeah, I mean, like that whole scene with Renly and the Knight of Flowers. I think that was really.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, there there's whole pages on the on the on the Game of Thrones wiki about speculating about the sexuality of Renly and the Knight of Flowers, and and the, and then in the, wow, in the show, they, it's they like shot that one down. So it's like, well, actually, we can confirm that with sound they, effects but they don't, but they don't have <laughs> Raph the Sweetling. They don't hey. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. He's coming next <laughs> year. Back. Watch Call out Raph the Sweetling is going to be in there. Um yeah, so let's move north. Let's go to Winterfell. Um virtually, of course, cuz Winterfell is made up of, like the rest of these books. But let's sh- let's shift the scene and talk about the Stark kids and we'll talk about Catelyn too. Any thoughts about how uh, the Winterfell stuff played out? Poor Bran. He's broken. <laughs>
3: He's. I, he's 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 pretty good too. I kind of dreams though. No. And there's a three-eyed crow. At least Brand's on the show. How do you think Rickon feels about all this?
5: He gets a couple scenes. He's in he's wandering around in the tombs.
1: Yeah, my wife said, my wife said, "Is that
5: is that the other kid?" I said, "Yes, that's finally the other kid." He's he's shown very early on but not, yeah, he does not get a lot of screen time. He doesn't get a lot of time in the book either. No, no. He's really. he's the baby, right? Like he's kind of the, you know, The book has a few more scenes where he's mentioned, though,
3: like Caitlin is sitting by Bran's side. Rob comes to her and says, you have to do something. Rickon is down there with the wolves, and he's going crazy, and they just cut that completely out. (laughs) Let him go. In, in the
1: book, in, in in the book, you know, you introduce yourself to the to the Stark family, and you can sit there and go, "All right, okay, so there are this many kids, and these are the names, right? Got it, got it." Where are in the TV show, you know, they it's the first episode, and they're like all these kids, yeah, and, and Starks that, everywhere, and then there and there's the ward and the bastard, and you're like, "Who are they? And which one is he again?" And so by the time you get to the end, you're like, "Oh, oh, is there another one? All right, you know, it, it's a little." It's well, Rickon's the track. only
5: one. Is he the only one in the book that we don't get a POV from? I think correct I mean, of the of the kids. Well, do we get Rob? I can't remember. I feel like we often see no. Rob through other. people. No,
2: I don't think we get Rob either. Actually,
5: but all the rest of them, you know, Sansa, Arya, John, um, Bran, we get we get we see through their eyes. Right. Let's um,
1: let's and, talk about Rob. Rob in the book is younger, um, and they aged him up because a lot of the stuff, sort of, you know, showing fourteen year olds going off to war isn't as as uh, it, 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 I think it was a good decision, and I thought that Rob actually came across as being a much more interesting
5: and likable yes. character in the in the in the show. Right? He's very bland in the books, right?
6: Mm-hmm.
5: I agree. I think I, I I felt much more sympathy for him as portrayed on screen than I did when in the books, where it comes across more of a. Well, my dad's not here. I guess I got to be the man of the house. You know, he didn't he felt very bland, especially when you put him up against John, who is considered, you know, who has considerably more depth to him and more at least more angst. Well, and when they and then when they begin chanting the king in the north, the king in the north, right, you
1: actually can kind of see how he's won this victory. And he and he very clearly had the good idea and why all of these guys who are his father's bannermen would pledge their Basically, allegiance to follow well, him yeah. in the Civil War. It it, it feels yeah. much more realistic than I, I sort of felt in the book. Where I, was I thought the like, scene eh.
5: too where, and I don't remember if this is in the book or not, but the scene where he deals to with the the his father's death, where where Caitlin goes out and finds him. Oh yeah, you know, whacking on the tree with that sword. I don't know that. Like, I thought that was actually an affecting scene.
1: I thought Catelyn didn't get as many scenes as I expected her to get in the first season of of the TV show that. You know, I, I, she's such a memorable character for me, and and yet, you know, she she doesn't have a lot. She goes to the area. Her sister is crazy. She, you know, she takes Jamie hostage. <laughs> she goes, you know, she goes back. She sees her son. Yeah, you know, I thought the actress was good, but it was kind of disappointing that she doesn't have more to do.
0: She became unanchored once Ned separated from her, I felt like, in the right. series. Because the two of them together, you saw how they worked as a unit, and then they got separated And she did a little bit of crazy initiative thing, stealing Tyrion on her own. But then after that, she was kind of unmoored and just floating around. And then she reconnected with her son. And that kind of, they joined back together as a unit. But on her own, as a free agent in the series, she seemed like she was kind of rattling around.
3: Yeah, she's mostly an observer. The only time I remember her really being the active protagonist of a subplot is with
5: Tyrion. And that got shortened a lot for the series. I was thinking about earlier, we talked a little bit in our in our book podcast about this, but I still, speaking as someone who read the book, uh, anytime you knew what was going to happen, like, because anytime somebody's like, don't worry, we'll talk about this next time I see you. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, God, no, you're never going to see them again.
1: So there's that painful scene where Ned talks to Jon Snow, and he says, I'll explain about your mother when we next meet. I laughed out loud <laughs> at that scene. <laughs> Not going to happen. I felt really
5: bad, though. And they help him to get with, uh, doesn't Benjamin say that before he rides off beyond the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about this later. That's usually a bad sign.
1: Yeah, he's not coming back. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the wall, right? So the wall, first off, I thought um, the way they portrayed it was really, you know, they showed the wall, right? Which is this hard concept in the book. It's enormous and it's kind of an impossible thing. And how could you ever show it? And, and you know, by golly, there's a gigantic wall. There it is, a great wall.
5: A, That's a, okay. a great ice it's wall. It's all right. It's all right. I seem better. But it's such a such a unique set. I like you know? I like the elevator. I like the elevator that they go up and the the tunnel. The way they portray the tunnel going through it. I don't know. It's it feels it feels realistic. Although maybe a little bit like like Ewoks built it. That elevator is operated by one guy pushing a stick.
3: <laughs> they can't put a donkey on that or something. It's called mechanical advantage. It's
0: too cold. <laughs> they discovered it in this exactly. world. Too cool. like it reminded me of the the elevator from the Wise Man's Sphere. Speaking of, of the book, you know they had that big wall they kept going up and down with the, oh, the yeah. horse cars yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. All right, similarly not impractical elevator mm. technology that just miraculously well, they, works. Apparently <laughs> they have they have steps, but you know if takes they a long don't, time. Some people
1: are lazy. I, like,
5: I, I liked. The, I think they did a great job with characterizing the other inhabitants of or the other members of the Night Watch, especially John's circle of friends. Though they don't get a lot of time. They get you get an idea of how important they are, especially in that last episode where he wants to ride off uh, and go join Rob, and they're the ones who who draw him draw him back. Um, I, I really I kind of enjoyed them, and I enjoyed uh, the old bear, um, who I think was again well cast as the as the Lord Commander um and you kind of that whole relationship there right it's very it's it's a very interesting thing because he's very you know he's kind of set apart from the rest of them because even though he's a bastard he's you know the son of a, a lord and you know they've got that all that uh, that that tension between him and the the guy who does like the arms training even though like, John clearly knows what he's doing, and I don't know. I, I enjoyed the scenes at the wall. And, and, and in a way, given that they're disconnected, like, like I think Monty was saying about, you know, the, the across-the-sea stuff being like, oh, yeah, I got to skip through that. I mean, I feel, contra- you know, separately, even though this is also sort of removed from the main intrigue, it, it plays in a little more, and it still held my interest in a way that the, the, the narrow – across-the-narrow-sea stuff did not.
1: The whole concept of the Night's Watch is the place where, as was said earlier, the dregs of the, of the culture get – get dropped i think it's interesting that the you have these younger characters who get sent there for various things that are you know they're not hardened criminals they they are bastards or unwanted or sam gamji yeah I mean, sam, sam Tarly is yeah. totally different sam well not sam wise yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how could you possibly right and so they're the ones who they're the ones who um we come to like because they they're not the the, the dregs of the culture they're just down on their luck or made a bad choice and, and now here they are. And Sam's a great character. Uh, so great. They, you know, took him from Tolkien and ran, ran him right, ra- right back in. Jon Snow is my favorite, I think, character in the books. And so, um, I thought I, I thought he was I thought that he was handled pretty well and is sort of appropriately not getting it at several points like when he's ma- named the steward for the Lord Commander and is all upset about it before his friend says, "Dude, th- you're being groomed, right? You you know that,
3: right? No, he's not that smart. He's like, Most he's a of little, the people on this show could do with pretty. some grooming."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comb anyone. See,
5: though, he's still too. He's still a little bit too too pretty. His hair's all. It's still like him and Rob both a little bit too. A little bit too pretty.
4: It's it's the wind swept north. It it makes their their hair.
5: Their hair's just
2: naturally curly. Okay.
1: Also, so um, John, did you get that the uh, commander of the Nights Watch at the Wall is the father of um, Daenerys's uh, knight who helps her out and prevents her from being poisoned?
0: I did not get that from the uh-huh. show, but I was I was going to mention though. Speaking of the uh, the guys in the armor, basically uh, big men in armor. You've got Jamie. You've got the, the captain of the King's Guard who fails to protect the king from the boar. Uh, you've got the guy at the the the, Watch, the head of the Night's Watch guy. All those actors and whoever designed the armor did such a good job because those guys look like old-timey regimented military men who are completely comfortable in their armor and look larger than life. And three entirely different sets of armor and three entirely different characters – Uh, But I thought that the design of those people, those are possibly the best traditional looking knights I've ever seen. They didn't look like a bunch of people wearing awkward knight armor, and they all look bigger than life. Maybe because they are bigger than life. I don't know how big these guys actually are, but they look big. On the screen, you know, they're like giants um, and, and everyone else look like boys, especially, you know, the other the Stark boys and everything who probably are big men in their own right. When next to these other men oh, looked yeah. like boys, you know, that was a, a great bit of casting, great bit of set design. And those characters like they never, had, hardly needed to say anything. They just needed to just walk on into the room and have a gruff expression. Man, Sir Beresteyn, uh, I really like Great, I love I love his last scene when they
5: when they make him mm. retire. He's just like, yeah, you know what? Screw you. Yeah.
1: Oh, you're going to get a castle.
0: No. Yeah. I, I was hoping he would kill all those guys in the room <laughs> instead of just say it, you know? Because at that point I was like, sure, he's going to go out swinging. i kill all these guys.
1: He lives to fight another day instead. Mm, of no course worries. for Barristan. Barristan the Bold. Okay, well, so we've, we've taken our little virtual tour. Um, north of the Wall, there lies nothing. I'm sure there's nothing interesting north of the Wall.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Probably not. not really. the, there's the Wildlings or whatever they call them. You get that one who becomes a character.
2: Yeah, we have a couple of wildlings.
0: Yeah, the uh, chick from Harry Potter
5: with right. the same haircut.
1: Yeah, they 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 make a, a real effort to have her look as
5: scraggly as possible too. She she kind of she she came around a little bit fast for me in terms of the like you you made me a prisoner or whatever and then like I don't know I felt like there was a little more time in the books developing the relationship between her and Bran before we go from like your buddy tried to kill me to I'm
0: gonna carry you around on my shoulders <laughs> like they're gonna trust this this girl. She's a survivor, though. That's what I got from her character. And the thing was that 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 red fine to me because her whole like her whole existence is a struggle for survival. And if she finds herself in a new situation, she's not gonna stubbornly cling to the way she used to live. She's like, well, my buddies are dead. Here, this is where I am now. I'm gonna make the best of it. She's a survivor, so she'll immediately she has no particular allegiance to anything except for the ability to keep herself alive. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been alive on the other side of the wall. You know. Right. So, However it was in the book, I had no problem following her. Yeah, we get that impression
5: from her, too. From And we get a couple mentions, although very little about Mance Rayder, who become you know, who's another character who comes in later. But, like, he men- he's mentioned a couple times as they throw away.
1: One of the things that I noticed, um, Theon, who is the ward slash hostage of Ned, but he's sort of, like, been raised as one of the brothers, he goes to the village... Outside of Winterfell, uh, to to do some expository dialogue with a whore, because that's what you do in as Westeros. Do. Yes, as you do, and um, and then and there's dialogue about the whore, and he talks to Jon Snow about her because she's a redhead, right? And then and then she declares that she tells Theon she's bailing out and she's going south, and then like she keeps she keeps showing up. It's like a running gag. It's like there are really only Eight whores in Westeros, and they have to move
4: <laughs> around. Really and
3: tired.
5: <laughs> yeah, you never, you never sing the eight whores of Westeros. It's an old drinking song.
3: I felt bad for her because she was apparently the very best whore in Winterfell. But as soon as she got down to King's Landing, she has to get fake orgasm training.
4: Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah that's really. like going to
0: university, though. She's going to. She's. It's an advanced <laughs> <The big> education. <laughs> she's. She's. The, she's being called up from the minors.
1: It shows how exactly. b- backward those Northmen are. They really oh, are just yeah. clueless about that. Did it, how did people feel about – I mean it's an HBO show, right? I mean how did people feel about the, uh, the, uh, the sex position or the sex
5: in general? Don't watch this show on a plane.
6: <laughs> I <laughs> no, oh, yeah, I had that Harris. one.
5: I had that one episode where where Littlefinger is, is teaching, you know, coaching them and, and expounding on his old history and why he's so great and everything. I'm <laughs> sitting there on a plane. I like I like putting that window behind a bunch of other windows so I can still listen to the dialogue <laughs> and being like, all right, is it over yet? But I really want to watch the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is not that kind of show. I mean, it was. It's it's strange. Somebody trained with. Uh... You know, standard commercial TV. You get to those scenes, and you're like, "All right, okay."
5: But I mean, it's 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 you know, the book is not does not shy away from that. No, either. doesn't. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the books are pretty graphic. Um, but
1: and they did use those scenes for other things, right? The the scenes generally will inform a, about a character or explain something about the world.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say the scenes were not very erotic they were all because they were talking or doing some sort of plot point or it was like a rape scene or something like that they weren't love scenes you know so even though there was lots of nudity it was mostly it was about as off-putting as the violence you know and matched up with that more or less so people being ex- people having their bodies exploited people being attacked with swords it's all kind of of a piece all right would. I would say like the, the only love scene they had is like maybe Ned and his wife in bed before he was going off to King's Landing. You know, the only actual relationship where there was any affection, mutual affection, you know, and all they did was just lay there.
3: Drogo and Daenerys had a reasonably yeah. emotional sex scene at one point.
0: I guess so, but this kind of like their relationship is founded on, on not a on not a solid foundation, let's <laughs> say on her, on her being sold. Yeah. You could say it. And I assume that, you know, she she figures out how to be a wife to this strange mostly evil guy and i'm assuming she's flowering into a strange somewhat evil queen dragon woman thing so she's not it wasn't really (laughs) that's the the name of the second book (laughs) the queen dragon woman thing yeah that's Mm -hmm. the best one really
1: (laughs) you don't want to read the one after that because like Monty said halfway through you're like how long is this book
0: um I, i think
1: that'll be two seasons if they get to that
3: I think they've already confirmed that that will be two seasons and book four. will
5: be two seasons.
3: Then I'm a little worried about how old these kids are going to be once they get to where the books are now. Like, Arya can't keep passing as a boy. I'm a little worried that George R. R. Martin, if he takes six years to write every book, then they're going (laughs) to run out of material.
1: He may just stop writing the books and just write the last season himself and then adapt it. There we go. What about the dragons at the end? Uh John talked about it a little bit. Uh, how did that conform? That's the big moment at the end of the book and it's the big moment at the end of the season. So how did that how did that work for you guys? There were some CGI dragons, you know, and mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah. as weird as it was in the book. Well, they're, they're not nursing on her, right?
5: Yes, that was the that was the weird part. I was surprised.
1: I kind
2: of wanted it to be as weird as it was in the book. Well,
0: This way they got to cover up certain parts of her body. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> The strategically placed dragon. I will just yeah. hold this dragon in front yeah, of my crotch. No reason.
2: You have, you have the scene in the book where basically she's supposed to be stepping out of the flames with the flames still going right. high with the dragons nursing at her breasts. And I'm like, yeah. well, you could have flames cover things artfully. And I mean, it, it just the scene in the in the in the television show just wasn't as powerful to me where it was just kind of like they walk up and oh she's alive it's the day
1: after and it's light out and it it, it was yeah. It, yeah that was
5: that was a weird choice
2: they really sat and waited for her to burn all evening like they they didn't question when she didn't walk out
5: <laughs> someone someone should go in and get her not me man <laughs> i am not touching that no you you no i think they
1: went and like saw saw a movie or something had some drinks
3: came back after
2: <laughs> yeah exactly okay. Oh, we went to Westeros to watch Beheading, and then we came
3: back. <laughs> After a few hours, you got to figure those people got tired of just watching the flames and took a nap?
1: Well, I think that's that's what happened, right? right? Is that everybody went home, and they went to bed, and then and then somebody came running in and said, Guys, guys, I was just walking past the pyre, and there's something moving over
5: there. Come on,
1: right?
5: <laughs> Let's go check it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know why they chose to do it that way. I don't know. It, it, did it really add? Well... Anything you gotta have dragon. That? There are no no real dragons are available, need, right? So no, no. I mean, like you know, the, no, the the fire, the fire, the changing it from the book was there a reason? The lack of I, fire. I, uh,
4: well, the the CGI dragons are very expensive, so you needed to have fire or CGI dragons, and they picked the dragons. You should hear the dragons' demands in their trailers. When I pictured the scene in the books in my
3: head, it felt a lot like a scene out of Terminator Two. Where you have yeah, yeah. the flames and then she walks remorselessly out right, of it. Right, with,
1: with dragons yes. nursing on her breasts. Ready to
3: and,
4: destroy and another, the world. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right.
4: Exactly right. Except now it's like, oh look, we forgot you were here. Hey, you're naked. You have dragons. <laughs> in some ways it makes her more
5: I don't know if it's more sympathetic, but it makes her it, it makes me feel like she's, she's softer in some way. Like it's she's because she, you know, rather than walking out of the fires, they kind of pull her out. <laughs>
6: the skin is so soft.
1: This is how all of the Targaryens make, uh, have the have that beautiful, healthy skin, is they just fire. <laughs> it's a great
0: – it makes you – the tan it gives you, let me tell you. And
4: then you, you rub a dragon on you and you're, you're fine.
0: Yeah, She looked more vulnerable when they found her. It was kind of like she was in the speaking of Terminator, like at Terminator one with the naked dude in a crouch after the lightning, you know, kind of, you're vulnerable when you come through, exactly. uh, even the Terminator machine looks vulnerable, when he's just crunched up in a little ball with no it's clothes like or anything. And not, not knowing what the book scene was, I thought doing it in the early morning light where she's just kind of dirty and, and comes up from the dirt with, with no clothes on look, looking kind of vulnerable, even though she's got these little CG dragons flitting around her. I, I thought it worked fine. I mean, it, The main message you were trying to get across was that you had to what you had to do in terms of the tv show was show that she had been transformed and more importantly show why should anyone ever follow her because up until then they were just following her because she was drogo's wife and after that she really had nothing and everyone just left and the only way you're thinking like well this character is going to be out of the series because her big strong guy is left and she is not as an individual impressive enough to make anyone ever follow her but Going into a giant fire and then coming out alive with dragons on your shoulder. You're going to get, get some to followers. It, right? yeah. <laughs> I will sign up for that. Whatever you Team are dragon, doing. right? You're on. And it doesn't have to be out of the actual flames. They so just say, we saw her burn and then she came out with dragons. So we're, we're following yeah. this lady.
5: <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> every time every time she starts cooking things, people are like, dragons. <laughs> yeah, There could be more dragons. way off
0: now. <laughs> get extra dragons on that, please.
1: <laughs> right. I'd like two eggs sunny side up and a dragon egg to go. So um, let's, in wrapping up, let's just uh, look back at the at this first season as a whole, and I w- I just want to ask how you feel. Were you satisfied? Were you happy? Was it a was it a good experience? Do you give it the the big old thumbs up? Let's start with Monty, who had to laboriously recap every episode <laughs> of Game of
3: Thrones. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Turns out it's a hard show to recap because it's harder to make fun of good shows. Uh-huh. It's no true blood. I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough, John. What about you? I give it a big thumbs up. I think it's probably my favorite new series of of this season, and, and actually my favorite HBO series this season. I'm watching a few other HBO series. Uh, I. It, it, Met my expectations. I wouldn't say exceeded my expectations. It ex- exceeded them in some ways, but I had high expectations for this show. But the other thing is I knew the the books. I knew I probably would never read them because I have kind of a middling tolerance for big honking fantasy novels at this point in my life. Uh, and I probably would never have read that. But I say if they're going to make an HBO series, I trust these guys and the actors look great. And I feel like they'll make it into something uh, compelling, and they did. You know, some some things were better than I thought they would be. Other things were, uh, you know, a little bit below the the level of excitement. I, I thought they would be. I don't know why I thought this, but I thought there would be slightly less political intrigue and slightly more battling with swords. But overall, very happy, big thumbs up. Can't wait for yeah, season. Not
1: two. a lot of sword battling, um, especially big battle scenes. They had some opportunities, and they instead they hit Tyrion in the head with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Saves this, money. Is, this is true. Well, they had those CGI dragons to pay for. Uh, Ren, what about you?
2: I loved it. Uh, I was very satisfied. of the. I think I was hooked pretty much by the second episode, and I'm very curious to see where they go with the second book and to see if they can kind of keep this ramping because I definitely, like, in terms of books, I think I started liking the series a lot more after I got through the first book, so I wonder if this trend will continue on television and if they will be able to keep up the budget and keep up the quality, especially as things get crazy. That's,
1: that's um, an encouraging sign for those who haven't read the books that you actually think it gets better as it goes. So,
2: well, I'd the second, second book. book gets better. I'm, I'm not talking about the second third book. and the fourth. I like
1: <laughs> the. I actually like the third book, but I, I did realize at some point that it was a billion pages long. Dan, how about you? What's your verdict?
5: How do I feel? Maybe a little hungry. Um, <laughs> a snack? No, I. I you know. I, I've been waiting for this show to come out for a really long time. A good friend of mine from college um, is not you know, – doesn't keep as much tabs on the television scene as say, I do. But he loves these books. And so when I told him that they were making this show out of it, he would like bug me like every six months. Like, like how's Game of Thrones going? And I'm, like literally it's been like four years in the making or something because I remember, you know, every time I'd see a news thing across my desk, I'd like send it to him. Look, they're getting closer. And so to actually get it here, it feels like, you know, you you worry that it's gotten hyped up too much um and so i think i went into the first episode feeling a little bit like eh, maybe my expectations are too high and and you know i i, I don't think i was necessarily hooked from the get go but yeah definitely by the by a couple episodes in i was fully caught up in the story again even knowing you know what's going to happen um you know it's been a while since i've read the books and so it took some time for me to remember certain scenes but like when you would get that i that flash of like oh man i know it's coming but still to see it played out in front of you um, and brought to life in such a in great fashion with such high production values, great cast and all that really, you know it, i I gave it a thumbs up. I think it was it was well done and I agree with John, one of my favorite series of the all right.
4: year. And Scott, what do you think? Well I have mentioned before on this podcast that uh when I read books I almost immediately completely forget everything about them. So I read the Game of Thrones a long time ago. And watching this show, I really had very little idea of what was going on because I'm a moron apparently. Uh, and So it was – I enjoyed getting reintroduced to the characters which is useful because the new book is coming out uh, and I had no idea that the show was coming out at all until so, I think someone emailed it about uh, – on the, the podcast mailing list. So I had no expectations. Uh, given that I had no expectations and I didn't remember anything about the book, I thought the show was very good. You sound surprised, almost. Well, you never know. It, g- fantasy shows generally are not right, very right. good. I think I'm safe yeah. in saying, yep. So I was I was prepared for it to suck, and it was actually very good. So I was I was surprised.
5: If anyone was going to do it justice, it was HBO, right? right that's like, true. You know, you could not do this on network no. television. Right. This could be an be totally NBC show. By.
3: It would be Merlin. <laughs> exactly. I've kind of said we didn't get to see a low-budget sci-fi channel original movie out of it, though. <laughs> oh, there's still no. No. Ga- a Game
5: of Thrones, the we- Ned Stark story. They'll do the uh, <laughs> the knockoffs. Have you seen the knockoffs they have on like Netflix? Whenever there's a popular movie coming out, they do like the low-budget for they're like 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 trans transmorphers. Like <laughs> it's really it's like s it's like SEO <laughs> for movies. This There's a great industry built up on that, so I assume we'll see like the game of chairs or something I don't know.
0: <laughs> Game of chairs. You know Scott mentioned uh, not knowing what's gonna happen because he'd forgotten the book. <laughs> oh, one thing one thing i want one thing I want to bring up before we uh, move on is the the Ned dying. So so for someone who didn't read the book, and I was watching it along with other people who haven't read the book. And when Ned got killed in that episode, I had it on TiVo, and they had watched it before me, and I saw a lot of people saying, oh, you're not going to believe what happens in this next episode. It's unbelievable. This episode has blown me. saw real time in Twitter when, when the show was airing, people were like, this is just unbelievable. This is the greatest show ever. Not, I, not that I am against that move, but I would have been disappointed if that wasn't his character arc, because then it would have been like, oh, this is like every other show where Ned is the hero, and despite – Whatever, you know, despite reality, he's going to get out of this through some stupid thing that would never actually happen because he's the main character and must be protected at all costs. That would have been upsetting to me and surprising. When he got his head chopped off, I wasn't shocked because that was the natural evolution of his story. And anything different would have required some sort of significant – you could have got him out of it. I'm not saying he had to die, but it would have required a significant plot event to save him from that versus just – Someone leaps up from the stage and grabs him, and they run off, and he's safe. Well, that's the, the clever—the
1: cleverness you know? of having this uh, other option, right? Which is that they're going to send him to the wall, and that's all Cersei's plot. And
0: yeah, but no, but once he was up on that stage and he's giving that that speech, I knew this yeah. guy's dead.
3: You didn't think Arya <laughs> was going to cut her, cut her way through the crowd? And
0: no, I mean, I thought she was—I thought she was likely to die too, because I first of all, he's dead because Joffrey's not going to buy this. Like you could see, it, it, I just—that was that ominous thing was in there i was kind of you know you're hoping like oh i'm rooting for ned because i really liked him because i did like his character but you're like no because the, if they did that that would be a cheat and in reality joffrey's gonna do that in the second when she's running to the stage i'm like oh they're gonna kill her too because she, there's no way in heck she's gonna save him because i had enough faith in the show to not say hey Arya's gonna go save him imagine if she had saved him oh. this would have been a horrible show you know she gets in there and she pokes people with a little stick and she runs <laughs> off and they're saved no <laughs> That then every, every, I would have been screaming, but I don't know what all the people who were shocked that he died were expecting. What did you want? That's how the
4: them? book goes. So that's what happens in the book. They really <laughs> changed it. <that.
5: laughs> yeah. The, my my aforementioned friend from college, who's who was the one who introduced me to this book, it's like that's how he sold it to me the first time. Like he described it it's like so. The, you know this is one of these books, but it's not like fantasy books where people get into these impossible situations and then they you know they 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 get out of it in death defying ways. No, in this one they actually die. <laughs> and I was like, huh, oh that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen you haven't seen the end of that yet, John. Yeah.
4: People continue to die.
5: It's good.
0: Just like real life. It's good.
1: All right. So that wraps up our conversation about a Game of Thrones. Uh, Comes back next year. Looking forward to it. Um, In the meantime, there are tens of thousands of pages of books if you want to read ahead. Um, So you, you, you might be able to be finished by the time the second season premieres, but only if you're a fast reader. Anyway, until then, I want to thank my guests for joining me to talk about it on, on The Incomparable. I enjoyed the season, too, by the way. I thought, it was, I thought it was great. So I'm glad that you guys thought so, too. Who, who asked you? Scott McNulty, thank you again for sharing your, um, your strange power of reader amnesia with us. I do what I can. Who are you? No one of consequence. Dan Morin, That's thank you for being here. Pleasure. Ren, thank you for, for being here and, and discussing these books, which you've read multiple times, right?
2: Yes. Well, the first two. And then I just finished rereading the first two and finishing the latter two for the first uh, time, right before wow. the show started. So.
1: All right. So you could remember it, unlike Scott, who's a it's babe okay. in the woods.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is a little blurry.
1: Poor John Syracuse, thank you for uh, for providing our control group as the person who hadn't read these crazy books before seeing the show.
0: Not spoiling it too badly for.
1: Me. That's we try not. That's what the horn is for. That's what the horn is for.
4: If I remembered it, to I would. Drow, spoil to
1: drown out the spoilers. I know that you would. Yeah, he would. I thought
5: it was a jury.
4: I evil. It was a Scott is horn. Scott is evil.
1: And a special thanks to our special guest, Monty Ashley. I'm so glad that you could be on the podcast with us. Thanks. It was fun. Uh, are you going to recap the series again next time? I hope to. All right. Well, look you- for that at TelevisionWithoutPity.com. Right.
3: Yes, indeed. All Are you right. going to recap this podcast? Uh, Jason said some stuff, and then I tuned out, and I might have said some stuff, and there were some other people.
5: That's like that. Uh, that's like the, our, our one-star review on <laughs> on iTunes.
3: Some people
1: of a certain age said some stuff for those for those of a certain age. Well, mm. who
5: who forget books, for example?
1: Right, Scott McDulty is ninety years old. That's why he forgets everything he reads. <laughs> you look great, Scott
5: Whippersnappers. <laughs>
1: It's true. Teenagers. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to my panelists. Um, I'm Jason Stone for The Incomparable Podcast. See you later.
4: what's the deal with the throne
1: (laughs) that's right who are the ad wizards who came up with this throne What you know i want i want a little padding back there you know robert i guess he's got enough padding that he wouldn't even feel it what kind of a stupid throne is that ouch i know it's metaphorical and all but i gotta sit on this thing
3: At what point did they decide they wanted to make that throne? Did they have a whole bunch of swords in a back <laughs> room? Extra swords. Well, they they
5: accidentally got, like, a dragon, you know, yeah. breathed on the armory, and they're like, crap, what are we going to do? Yeah, with they left Palos the sword so too close to together? the dragon. I know, chair! <laughs> <laughs> my theory is that there was a blacksmith
3: who had an pub- a application for a public arts grant. <laughs> and the king
1: said, you know, I got yes. these swords that I took away from my enemies. They're not doing any good. Sure.
5: I mean, so they, they, it was before they realized the Mad King was mad. They would just like throw out stuff, like, I want a throne of swords. And people were like, I guess we better make one. I mean, he's the king and all. Later, he has a he dragon. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. When he asked for a throne of cats, they were like, That's, oh, That actually he's would gone. be a great <laughs> sequel, though. <laughs>
1: throne of cats.